This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am really excited to be joined by special guest this evening, Brandon Lejeune, the host of the Debbie Deep Dive Podcast. Brandon, I know we've spoken a lot on Twitter over the years and DM. Really excited to have you on the podcast for the first time. So thank you very much for joining me this evening. Hey, I appreciate the invite, Paul. Um, Like I told you before we started the show here, you're probably one of the first podcasts I started listening to um, many years ago. And congratulations on approaching 400 episodes. Yeah, absolutely. I know Matt and I were talking recently and we, we kind of can't believe that we're approaching that number and uh he matt you know obviously dealing uh you know third child so he's been he's been busy with all that but he's hoping to pop on with me next week for episode 400 so hopefully we can make that happen next week uh i know he definitely misses uh being on air uh with me each and every single week but you know college football it, it's it's been a weird year. We were just talking off air that a whole bunch of cancellations, you know, in the SEC for this upcoming week. You know, the NFL keeps chugging along every single week, you know, more COVID issues and who's missing games. But, you know, I'm stunned that we are already as far into both the college and NFL season as we are. A lot to talk about each and every week. And I'm excited that you're going to join me this evening to kind of break down and, and give your perspective. I know, uh, you know, I've been sharing my thoughts on a lot of these guys each and every single week. I had it on Jeff Abercrombie a couple of weeks ago. So it was nice to have, you know, co-hosts a couple of weeks ago to just bounce ideas off of and hear other people's perspectives. And that's kind of what I'm looking forward to tonight. So let's get right into it, you know, with segment one here, the NFL draft report for week 10, where we really focus in on the draft eligible prospects. And I want to start the quarterback position, Brandon, because Basically, the guy probably getting as much hype from where he was when the year started to where he is right now is Zach Wilson out of BYU. This past week, 21 of 27, 359 yards, two touchdowns, really impressive performance against Boise State. And he's kind of now pushed himself where what a lot of people say in round one, very much in play for Zach Wilson. I'm not ready to to put him at the Trevor Lawrence or you know Justin Fields or even even Trey Lance just yet for me, but I could see I could see round one. I did a deep dive last week actually and broke him down after watching five games of him. I put him as a as a late round one, early round two with still trajectory to move up. Where are you on Zach Wilson, kind of in relation to the other top level quarterbacks in in this year's upcoming class? Well, I mean, look, there's, he's certainly a Debbie darling right now. I mean, you know, rightfully so. He improved so much from last year. Um, you know, he's got that gunslinger mentality, and the NFL is looking for the multi-use, you know, dual threat QBs. Um, I got him, you know, in my Debbie dashboard ranks uh, right after the top three. Um, you know, I got Kyle Trask in there, Mac Jones a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I think he's got good arm strength. He's got the mobility. Um, you know, he can make all types of you know crazy throws it was interesting i read an article on him not too long ago but this offseason he actually went and trained for learning how to throw like mahomes you know the side angles you know passes and stuff like that and you know i think the nfl is just in such a search for quarterbacks um they're going to take a leap of faith with a guy like this i think so because yeah, i and- think go ahead 
Yeah, and I was just going to say, I think you're right because the, the NFL is looking for guys, and, and this is something that Jeff and I talked about a couple of weeks ago on here. They're looking for problem solvers. They're looking for guys who can win in a variety of ways. And he's not going to put a big chunk rushing yards like a Lamar Jackson or a Kyler Murray. But what he can do is he can extend the play. He's mobile enough inside and outside the pocket. He can, you know, he can pick up some yards with his legs. I don't think it's going to be, you know, similar to, you know, again, in, in my opinion, He's not on a level of Patrick Mahomes, but you see Patrick Mahomes make, you know, plays with his legs at times. So I think Zach Wilson has that in his calling card that he can utilize his legs. It's not going to be things that you call a lot of read options for him or a lot of quarterback draws, but it's something that he can do. I, I find it really interesting what you talked about that he, you know, is really studying the way, you know, Mahomes in front of the different arm angles. Cause I do think that is something that is intriguing about him. I have a little bit of a question about, I do think when he's like a normal throw and he just goes back in the pocket, sometimes it looks like his release is a little low, like a little, this looks a little unorthodox, almost like a little Philip Rivers esque that it comes out. It's a little bit of a low release point when he's not looking to throw from a different arm angle because he needs to, but I don't know. I'm interested to, to watch that a little bit closer. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to gauge him a little bit because his offensive line is just dominating people. He's got so much time in the pocket. He's not going up against elite level competition, but I mean, that's going to be the same thing we say about Trey Lance as well. Right. You know, obviously coming from North Dakota state. So I think Wilson has put himself to me. I almost have him in his own tier. I have that top three then I have Wilson. And then I have those other guys that you were talking about. So that's kind of where I am on Zach Wilson right here. I mean, let, let's turn this to take this to Justin Fields for a second. 24 of 29 this past week, 314 yards, five touchdowns. He's got more incompletions than he's got more touchdowns than he has incompletions this year, which is just a remarkable feat. I do think some people still maybe are a little bit reluctant to buy all in on Justin Fields, the thrower. I think he's more advanced than Lamar Jackson was when Lamar Jackson was coming out of college. Do you kind of see Fields right there as a 1B to Trevor Lawrence? Or do you kind of see Lawrence, you know, in his own separate tier and then Fields and Lance kind of make up that next tier, but a little bit of a gap from from Trevor? Um, I think it's going to really depend on the team that has the first pick and what they're looking for, you know, what offensive they run. I mean, for me, I, I like Lawrence just a little better. I think, um, you know, I, I think they're just 1A and 1B. I think it's going to come down to a landing spot. I mean, you know, a lot of talk right now on Twitter of, uh, you know, the, the Jets landing Lawrence, right? So from a fantasy draft standpoint next year, you know, what, what does the community think if he gets ended up, you know, getting drafted with the Jets, but, you know, Justin Fields is the second, third pick, or, you know, Justin Fields is the first pick. It doesn't matter. I think you got to look at that landing spot, you know, when it comes to really realizing their true value and what talent they have, what offensive system they're in, what coach is going to be able to really develop them. Um, you know, but I think they're both 1A and 1B. If you're lucky enough to either have them on your Debbie squad or lucky enough in your rookie draft to get one or two of them, you should be pretty happy. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I know, you know, living in New York, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, Trevor Lawrence and to the Jets. And, you know, listen, I think it's pretty obvious that Adam Gase is not going to be the coach of the Jets next year. You know, so, you know, while someone might look at the Jets scenario right now and, ha and have questions about, oh, is it a good fit for Trevor Lawrence? You know, that narrative changes really quickly if they go out and, and get a bright offensive mind like Joe Brady. Like that name has been bounced around already that, you know, even after as young as he is, after one year at Carolina, he might be the hot 
coordinator that gets an opportunity and do the Jets want to go that route? And is he intrigued by the Jets because he knows he's getting a guy like Trevor Lawrence? And, you know, that changes the whole narrative, I think, in terms of what people might think about Lawrence and the Jets and, you know, and how that translates into, you know, production success and then, you know, in, in return fantasy success. So, so I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think I'm right there with you. I think it's a one, a one B I do favor Trevor Lawrence a little bit, but I will say though, you know, for the, for the fantasy people, I'm not sure that fields and Lance don't have a higher ceiling with their, their rushing ability. Trevor Lawrence is going to run, you know, he he's very good runner as well, but I could see at the NFL level because he's a little bit more of an advanced passer that the NFL team that drafts him, isn't going to want him running as much as maybe a team might let Justin Fields or Trey, or, or Trey Lance just kind of open it up and, and really let them go with their legs. So I think their fantasy value is going to be very dependent, like you said, in terms of where they land, what scheme they're asked to run, and probably in hindsight, you know, how much they're asked to run at the next level because they all have the athleticism to do it. It's just, you know, does a team look at Lawrence and see how much more advanced he might be in terms of some aspects of, of passing that they – restrict him a little bit and ended up a little bit more in terms of the rushing capabilities. So a couple other quarterbacks I want to mention. I know you, you, you brought up a, you brought up Kyle Trask, you know, in passing a few minutes ago, this past week, 30 of 43, 474 yards and four touchdowns, really impressive performance this past week against Georgia. If Zach Wilson has made the biggest jump in terms of quarterbacks, you know, draft stock, in terms of before the season to now, I think Kyle Trask is, is second in terms of the quarterback position because when I watched Trask over the summer, I thought he was an intriguing day three developmental quarterback. And now you watch him and, and I think he's, I think he's pushed his way into the day two mix. I really like what I've seen from him. I mean, he needed this more experience under his belt, to be honest with you. And he's getting that this year. He's showing progress and development. That I think an NFL team is going to like Trask. I think he's going to be a guy that, you know, maybe a, a, a team that has an older quarterback that's going to play another few more years. Maybe they look at Trask in, in terms of day two somewhere and, and get him on their squad. But what are your thoughts on, on Trask? And then I'll bring I'll mention a couple other names who I think before the season started, I think a lot of people had Brock Purdy out of Iowa State and Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati potentially higher than Kyle Trask. I, I'm intrigued by both of those guys, but Brock Purdy's had a really inconsistent year. Continued this past week with 164 yards, three touchdowns, but also three interceptions. So he's he's really got to clean up the decision-making and the turnovers. And then Desmond Ritter, I've gone on air saying, he reminds me so much of Colin Kaepernick when, when Kaepernick was coming out of Nevada way back when. His rushing ability, he, he picks up chunk yards with his long uh, you know, leg strides. And I like his his release, and I think he's got good arm talent. But this past week, 100 yards rushing and three touchdowns, chipped in 162 yards passing and a touchdown. Any thoughts on Ritter, Trask, Purdy, you know, what you thought of them maybe before the season started or has anything changed much since Trask has really performed this year? Yeah, I mean, I think I got Trask a little higher than both of those guys. I mean, his productivity has been great. He throws a good long ball. Um you know, I, I'm not going to say that I'm a, a student of the game when it comes to the mechanics of a quarterback and looking at it. Um, but Trout, Trask has like a very kind of slower release, but I think he's he's got to be in that conversation. You know, Brock Purdy, um, it, it makes me realize that sometimes we got to give pause to these guys when they really flash as a freshman to give them a little bit more time. You know, I think that also goes to the NFL level. Um, 
they get a lot of uh, off, off time in the summer to watch tape on these guys and know how to really kind of uh, defend him. But yeah, he's def- definitely taking a step back without a doubt. The Ritter kid, I haven't watched a ton on. Um, I'm not much of a stats guy, but I do, you know, for quarterbacks, look at stats. And, you know, the one thing about Ritter, his long ball isn't very accurate. And I think that might be something that holds him back. Um, I think he runs a little too often without, you know, letting the play develop. But I think to me, when it looks, when you look at the quarterback position and everything that you try and analyze with their arm talent and their ability to make plays when the plays break down is all great. But I think the one thing that none of us get to really understand and and really get to know because we're not inside the building are the intangibles of these players. You know, how smart are they? How much work ethic do they put in? And how, what is the mental processing of them being able to see the field? If you think of all the big arm talents that have gone from college to the NFL that have not been successful, you know, I, I try to look at my, I try and tell myself like, well, why aren't they being successful? And I think a lot of it comes down to the intangibles of, of which of these guys are, you know, going to be able to have that mental processing and then have the ability to execute on what they see on the field. And, um, you know, I think Kyle Trask out of all of these guys are exceeding you know, the, you know, at least Ritter and, and Purdy right now on the field. Yeah, I mean, and the level of competition that he's facing week in and week out is superior as well. And and listen, there's a reason why evaluating the quarterback position is so challenging because the challenges that they face at the collegiate level are just so different when they get to the NFL level. Everything is so much faster. So many of these quarterbacks that put up gaudy stats and and like like you mentioned before. You know, Matt here, Matt and I here at Saturday, Sunday, we say all the time, collegiate statistics in our mind mean very, very little in terms of transition and success at the NFL level. Because, you know, if they're not putting up statistics and production in terms of things that are NFL caliber, you know, obstacles and challenges, then and it's just kind of empty yards and empty stats. So, you know, I think that's what makes the position so hard to evaluate. We don't know if, if they're just living on, you know, their first read and, you know, is it the scheme that's creating these wide open passing lanes at times, the mental processing, how they handle pressure. Sometimes these guys just don't have, you know, don't face much pressure. I know, you know, when I watched Zach Wilson and, and wrote a full report on him that I'm going to be putting in the, the scouting notebook, there's not a lot of right now film on him ha- on him having to deal with pressure. And mm-hmm. we always talk about here, you don't want to say it's a weakness just because he's never faced it. But we, you know, we kind of changed our lingo a little bit about two years ago that we kind of got rid of weaknesses and we kind of replaced it with developmental areas and concerns. Because at times we were putting things in weakness category that we weren't really sure were weaknesses, but we just didn't see it. So like, so we, we've, we've had a little bit of a change in terms of the, the, the language we use because sometimes, you know, it's a concern. But other times, you know, we want to see more developing, but sometimes we just don't know. And, you know, to, to call something as simple as a weakness, but we've never seen him do it. You know, sometimes, you know, guys just aren't asked to do certain things at the college level that then they're asked to do at the pro level. And sometimes we just don't see it. So it's interesting. All these quarterbacks are, you know, after the, the top guys, I think you can you can make a case of why Purdy's interesting. I can make a case of why Raiders interesting. But then there's but then someone could easily make a counterpart of areas that they need to work on and improve upon. The one thing I will say that makes these guys in play 
is the NFL is looking is not looking for the traditional pocket passing quarterback anymore. It, it's gone by the wayside. You know, Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins were the last two traditional guys, and look where they are. Teams don't even want them in their building half the time anymore now, and they're looking to get rid of these guys. You know, and it really opens up the door for some more of these athletic guys that still have maybe a ways to go in terms of their passing acronym, but uh, but they have that athleticism. They have that ability to, to play off structure and throw on the run, and I think that's something NFL teams are looking for. So let's take this at a running back position. A couple names here. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on, on Travis Ethian. Obviously, this week he didn't put up a big statistical game in terms of his rushing, but he did show off some more in terms of his passing, you know, catching ability. Eight catches, 57 yards. You know, he only had 28 yards rushing with a touchdown. You know, listen, I've gone on record as saying he's never going to be a great pass catcher. To me, he's just got to be functional because you get him in open space. If he can catch a screen pass, if he can, you know, catch a check down, you know, short stuff. He's not going to be this this precise route runner. His hands are always probably going to be a little bit shaky. Do you have Ethan at the top of your running back board right now? Do you have Najee Harris? That seems to be the, the top two guys in terms of the consensus. Some people have Ethan, some people have Harris. Is it a 1A, 1B thing like we were talking about with the quarterbacks? You know, do you put Ethan at the level of any of the guys that came out last year in terms of just overall talent level as well? Well, his product, his production has been incredible. Um, I mean, I've ETN and Harris again, like it, it's like the Lawrence in the fields. It's the one A, the one B. I can't imagine anyone in this class. I mean, before Journey Brown in Journey Brown's injury, he was kind of up there in my list as well. I just really liked his skill set at the end of last year and, and he was explosive as well. Um, you know, the, the only thing about ETN is the competition that he's played against. For four years, you know, I did a video on YouTube on him, a film, and I came across an interesting stat out of the six games. And this was not 2020, but in 2019, in his first three seasons, you know, he only played six teams out of those 42 games that were in the top 10, you know, so he's really padded stats. I'm not trying to take anything away from his ability, um, but. I don't know. I think it's one A and one B. I think Harris brings a lot to the table. Harris just looks like a beast as well. But I, I think the uh, you know the burst that ETN has is going to be um, something the NFL franchises are. I don't think are going to be able to pass up on. Yeah, I mean, I think you know one thing I've said here is that I have ETN slightly higher. But I don't, I think actually Najee Harris is the more complete back. I think if you're looking to create an offense where you want the run game to be the focal point to you, you want the run game to be, you know, define you like almost like the Titans have with, you know, Derrick Henry or the Giants when they drafted Saquon Barkley, we're hoping to create that. I think Najee Harris is more that in terms of the focal point, but. Travis Ethian brings that explosiveness, that burst, that acceleration that you get him. He gets a crease. He's like Dalvin Cook. He's gone. And we've mm-hmm. seen, you know, we've seen the last two weeks, you know, what Dalvin Cook can bring to the table after he missed a game or two there with the Vikings. And then he got back and, you know, he's been putting up 200 plus yards a week. So I, I do think NFL teams might slightly favor that, but I think, I think it could be. I think it could be more of a split or maybe like a 60-40 in Ethan's favor if if you truly if we were truly able to poll NFL teams in terms of what running back they like more. I do think it's what they're looking for. I think Harris, like I said, is a more complete guy, but Ethan just has that that explosive calling card, you know, in terms of that acceleration and burst and that rare stop start uh acceleration as well that that could put him at the forefront. 
where where are you? Because listen, I, I'm excited to hear somebody else was as intrigued by Journey Brown as me because I had him in number five before the year started. And I talked about him a lot in the summer saying that I thought he had a legitimate chance to get up to number three for me and be the, the third guy after after Najee Harris and, and Travis Ethian. Obviously going to miss this season. I have Chuba Hubbard at third or Chuba Hubbard at third. I have my I have some concerns about Truba Hubbard though. Like I think there's a significant drop after the top two guys. Is he is he third on your list? And I'll also throw out two other names and you can maybe touch upon them briefly. I think Master Teague and Zamir White are, are comparable players in, in terms of what they would bring to an NFL team. I I, th- I know they tested out pretty well athletically from high school to the to the NFL uh, to to college, especially at their size and their weight and their frame. But when I watched them play, these guys look like guys who are going to be interior runners, early down runners at the next level. And I keep waiting for one of them to show me some more variability and versatility to their game. And I don't know if we're going to see it again, whether that's something along the lines of they're not asked to do it or their coaches don't think they could do it because it's an area of weakness for them. But I, I struggle with Zemir White and Master Teague a little bit. I think they're on that round three, round four border. You know, a lot of times running backs get pushed down. So, you know, I could see them both going on day three or one somewhere on day three and one at the, the back end of round three. But I struggle to put them as guys who are in the top two rounds for me without seeing more in terms of a complete package at the running back position, which I think it's very rare now you see a guy not get taken in the first two rounds that doesn't have – you know, that dual capability to be a really good pass catcher or a great runner, you know, or some combination of the two. So any thoughts on Master Tigers, Amir White, and and any quick thoughts, Ace Juba Hubbard at number three for you? I'm not a Zamir White fan. I think he, you know, is a straight line guy. I don't see a lot of lateral movement. It's probably one thing I look for most in running backs is the ability. Um, one of the things I like so much about Journey Brown was, you know, to be able to that, you know, the real good cutting ability to stop foot, go foot, you know, being able to stop and change direction, even be able to change direction when you're kind of in full stride running as well. And I don't see that with Zamir White. I see a straight line guy who maybe has a one cut, moves up field, but I don't see him being that dynamic playmaker at the next level. You know, could he be a Derrick Henry type? You know, Derrick Henry's kind of the same way. He's got some lateral movement, but a bigger guy, maybe. Uh, Master Tiga concerns me with that Achilles heel, you know, that that injury. Uh, history doesn't do well with guys coming off, especially running backs coming off an injury like that. Um, but again, I, th- I look at him as not somebody who has a lot of lateral movement, more of a bigger guy um, that, that goes straight ahead. Chuba Hubbard, I mean, he's in my, he's in, I think number four, I got Brees Hall. I know he's in a different class, but as far as, you know, this class, he's up there, you know, behind, still behind Journey Brown until I really find out what that injury is, is the significance of his injury. Um, but I, I think, Chuba could maybe go day two, but I completely agree with you. I think that this is not a very deep running back class. I think it's the top two, and I think it's a horse race. You know, maybe Chuba Hubbard's up there, maybe one other player, but I think all the rest are going to, it's going to be a big horse race between now and the end of the season and see how it all shakes out. I mean, we had a lot of running backs go, obviously, on round two in the last draft. I could see a scenario where Ethan and Najee Harris go somewhere in that 20 to 40 range, you know, late first round, early second round. And then I could see, I could see a big gap before the next running back comes off the board. And I could see it being mid-third round, late third round. I wouldn't be surprised. You start going up and down the teams, there's not a lot of teams that need running backs. But I like I think a guy like 
Chuba Hubbard is probably going to be drafted by a team that already has a, a pretty good running back, but they're looking for a compliment and they're looking for maybe a big play for it. And I think that's probably how Hubbard is best. I kind of think he's a guy who maybe at the next level should be a 14 kind of touch, 15 kind of touch guy as part of another, you know, as part of a tandem in the backfield. I don't think he's got the interior running capabilities to hold up, you know, as a, as a guy, you know, he plays in the big 12, like there's wide open rushing lanes, Mm -hmm. you know, the rushing lanes that he sees, you know, are close, not as bad as what Rashard Penny's or Darrell Henderson's was when they were coming out. But, but it's sometimes the rushing lanes are are gaping there for him. So he's not asked to really play in those tight spaces, which we know is going to be needed at the next level. So let's take this over to the wide receivers couple of interesting names, obviously, uh, the Pac-12 kicking off recently. You know, Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, seven catches, 100 yards. You know, really, he's a guy who, again, we, we, we hear the Alabama guys, you know, Jamar Chase obviously opted out. You know, now his teammate, Terrace Marshall Jr., who I'm a big fan of, he's skyrocketing up draft boards. You know, Rashad Bateman, who I'll bring up momentarily. But Amon Ross St. Brown seems to be known well, especially in the Devi community, but I'm not sure the national, you know, consensus knows, I think how good of a re- overall receiver he is. So some thoughts on Amon Ross St. Brown, what you like about him upside hit to his game. And then Rashad Bateman, I, I mentioned this last week, you know, this past week blows up for 10 catches, 139 yards and one touchdown. I think before the season started, it almost seemed like this foregone conclusion that it was Chase 1, Bateman 2. I don't know if the NFL teams are going to view it like that right now. I think, you know, we saw Henry Ruggs go over Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb right or wrong. It happened this past draft. You know, if Jalen Waddell's injury is okay, you know, and the NFL teams feel like that's not going to hinder him, I can see Waddle going ahead of Bateman. I can see Devonta Smith in play. Is it is it clear Bateman for you right at the tippy top right there with Jamar Chase, or could you see some of these other guys also pushing into the mix to maybe be the the number two uh, running uh, wide receiver off the board if we assume Chase is going one? Yeah, I mean, I have on my board. I got Waddle, Chase, Devonte Smith, Terrence Marshall, Rondell Moore, and Rashad Bateman. So that's kind of I'm with you. I've been a you know if you follow me on Twitter, you know I've been just a Jalen Waddle guy for a long time. I agree completely with you. I think his explosiveness, he can do everything on the field. He can contribute on special teams. He's an explosive player. I was so bummed when I when he tore his ankle up. You know that was a real disappointment for me. Um, but yeah, I mean I think Bateman is, is in that conversation to to be a, you know he's a good route runner um you know i don't know if he's got that elite separation skill i think he's you know that taller receiver uh, i like marshall kind of better the same kind of bigger type receiver i think he's i think marshall has a little bit more athleticism um and devonta smith big fan of as well um amon st brown and look he's a great he's a really quick twitchy runner i think he you know he can win all over the field i just question his play strength i guess you know his frame you know one thing i look at in receivers and try and translate the success from college to nfl i mean the, the jump you're playing with the best athletes in the world you need to be physical you need the physicality regardless of what your frame is whether you're six three six four even jalen waddle you know what i like about him is that even though he is probably more five ten five eleven don't have his measurables right here he is a physical physical receiver who can lay a hit even when he's out running you know with the yak yards and stuff like that and, and for saint brown yeah he's got all the skill in the world but again you know that physical physicalness does he have that physicality to win 
is my question with him. Yeah, and listen, going back to Waddle for one second, then I'll, I'll follow it up with Amon Ross St. Brown stuff. Every year, I feel like I feel like somebody is calm to Tyree Kill, and it's it's wrong. I do think Jalen Waddle, if there's a if there's a legitimate comp to Tyree Kill, because Tyree Kill again for his size and frame, he's tough. Like he's physical. He can go up and get it and fight for a ball. I think Waddle is the is the closest comp to Tyree Kill than we've had since Tyree Kill really started making noise at the NFL level. And I feel like that was thrown out there with Henry Ruggs. I didn't think Henry Ruggs, either Henry Ruggs was more like a Will Fuller or somebody like that. I think Jalen Waddle is on a Tyreek Hill level in terms of what he can bring, provided the injury, you know, is okay. So I, I think he's the wild card. Like, I don't even think it's off the reservation to think an NFL team takes him ahead of Jamar Chase. I don't think it's crazy. Oh, I, I don't either. See, yeah, I, I can I see either. an NFL team doing that because they're that rare calling card. And if, if Henry Ruggs can go ahead of CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle can go ahead of Jamar Chase. Like it, it's just that simple. And if people don't think that, they're not understanding, you know, what NFL teams are looking for. They are looking for elite playmakers who have an elite special trait. And Jamar Chase is great in so many areas. But Jalen Waddle has a, has that burst and that that vertical ability and that long speed that a team could look at that and say, that's what we need. It changes the entire complexion of our offense. So I think it's I think it's a lot closer at the top. I don't think it's I don't think it's I think it's far from a one Jamar Chase, two Rashad Bateman, and everyone else. I think the Alabama guys, I think Terrace Marshall continues to catapult himself into that mix. I'm right there with you. The six that you mentioned are are my top six as well in terms of the names. Uh so I think I think it's a really star-studded class. I think all six of those guys that you mentioned have a legit shot to go in round one. Uh if I was going to say, if I was forced to pick one that could fall out, my my pick, and it seems like a knock on him, would be Rondell Moore. I, I don't feel good about it. But if, if you force me, if you force me to pick one from that group of six to say, okay, somebody might fall to the top of the second round, he would be my pick. Uh, you know, just because of the other guys, you know, Alabama, they've done it a little bit more. I think Bateman has a little bit more versatility to his game and got more size. You know, I've seen some people say he's a Keenan Allen type player and I can buy that. And I think that, you know, that's a great comp. Uh, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah mentioned that. So I, I get that. Going back to Amon Ross St. Brown, do, your concerns that you have for him, do you have any similar concerns for a guy like Chris Olave similarly to a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, or do you have less concerns for Olave? No, yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that name up because um one of my hobbies is I make game films, right? And I did one on Alave. I, I actually recorded every reception of his in 2019. And on my Debbie dashboard, it was a discussion that we had with a bunch of guys that uh, we were talking about. We watched the film together. We all talked about it. And I really felt that Alave, I know he, the PFF stats have him as the best route runner and space creation or whatever. But if you really watched, I thought his 2019 tape, it looked like he got open on a lot of broken zones. You know, you got fields extending plays. Um, you know, I never saw Alave last year really being pressed at the line of scrimmage, winning physically with a DB and getting open and and making those tight catches. Yeah, he created space, um, but I'm not sure he created the space or it wasn't the system that he was playing in that created the space. Look, he's balling it again this year. 
all the draft Knicks, the guys that do this for a living, have them in the first round. I have them lower than that, and I'm probably going to be wrong because usually the NFL gets it right. Well, not all the time, but a lot <laughs> of the time. Um, but no, I, I have those same concerns. You know, like the college game to the NFL, you're playing with the best athletes in the world, and it's a it's a completely different ball game. And yeah, I do. It's kind of like with Van Jefferson. You know, like I, I he great route runner, always kind of got open. I'm not trying to compare the two. You know, but again, will he be successful? The same concern with him was, you know, is he physical enough to win against these elite, you know, DBs that are playing in the NFL? Yeah, and I think I think yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't have him as a round one guy. I I have him and Amon Ross St. Brown as day two guys. And listen, I, if they're second round picks or third round picks, I think they're great picks. They they offer they their skill set and their ability to be above average to good route runners at at the collegiate level is something that you know a lot of times guys coming from college aren't good route runners. You know, so so they're definitely better than most in terms of their route running in terms of coming into the next level, but. I do think they're not guys who profile to be a team's number one. To me, they're a really good complementary uh, piece to an offense. Maybe they're even a third wide receiver and they're a slot guy. And maybe they have to not have to deal with as much of that, you know, physicality and press coverage. You know, they'll have to deal with more physicality than they see in, in college. But if they're inside, they might not have to see as much of that physical press stuff from inside. Mm-hmm. And that might be where they, that might be where they're both at their best, to be honest with you at the next level. And, you know, basically a third wide receiver is a starting position now at the NFL level. And, you know, the number of teams that run that as their base package is pretty high or at least most of the game, you know, a good portion of the game they're in there. So I think those guys are day two guys, really good receivers. uh, But I I think they're a step down from those other six that we talked about who I do think weren't round one uh, selection. Another wide receiver I want to, I kind of want to pivot to, and this is a guy who I feel like the Debbie community has been talking about for a while and we've been waiting for it. And he's, he's put up some games this year, I don't know if the hype since he came into college, though, meets what the NFL is going to think of him. And that's Brennan Eagles out of Texas. Four catches, 43 yards, and one touchdown. I don't know if 10 years ago, eight years ago, I think the NFL teams would be oohing and on over Brennan Eagles. I'm not sure anymore his profile is, is what they're looking for in terms of you know, a round one or a round two receiver. I have some concerns about his separation quickness, his ability to get open and create space. Listen, he's obviously really good at the catch point. I like him in contested catches. He can go up and high point the football. But we've seen other guys who can do that. And sometimes a lot of these guys can't translate and make the transition because they just can't get open when the competition is better. I think he's an intriguing player. I think a guy like Travis Fulgram having success in the NFL this year for the Philadelphia Eagles gives somebody like Brennan Eagles and people who are fans of Brennan Eagles, I think it can look at a guy like Travis Fulgram and say, look, it's not everybody who is is big and wins at the catch point and in that like Alshon Jeffrey type way, or, you know, obviously the spectrum's wide. It's like Alshon Jeffrey, Mike Evans, somewhere in between, you know, less than, you know. But I do think they can look at Travis Fulgram and say, listen, he's not creating a lot of separation, but he's winning at the NFL level. He's 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 doing it at the catch point and he's being productive and he's turned into a really, you know, productive right now number one wide receiver for the Eagles at the moment. Where do you kind of stand on Eagles and his style of play 
compared to maybe where the NFL is trending in, in quicker, faster guys who create separation in that air breaks seems to be more of what NFL teams are looking for right now as Laquan Treadwell busted, Nikhil Harry sure looks like he's on his way to busting. You know, obviously guys, last year I fought this argument with T Higgins because I really did like him and say, let's not pigeonhole everybody to the same group. Uh, but where do you kind of stand on the Eagles? Uh, he's pretty buried in my list. Um, I think you hit it on the head earlier when we talked uh, just briefly ago when you said the word versatility. I think that's what the NFL wants in a wide receiver. you know. Um, and I look at Brennan Eagles more of a downfield threat, um, not a guy who's going to have terrible, you know, a lot of yak ability. Um, and can he create his own space? Yeah, he's going to win at the catch point. He's big and physical. But I think it comes down to the versatility. I think that, you know, I think the NFL offenses, they want to be able to get a piece and move them around. Um, and I just don't know Brendan Eagles. He's just not somebody that I'm going to really, you know, he might, he might go in the fourth, fifth round, like you said, and, and emerge, but there's probably, I could name 20, 25 guys just like him in this class that are going to emerge, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. He is just, if I'm looking at just from this draft class alone, he's at, he's at 24 for me. And, and I could see some, I'm looking at my list right now and I see some guys below him that I think are just have just as much upside. So this is going to be a guy that I think probably is a late day for reselection somewhere in that round five to round seven mix. Like I don't, I don't see him working his way up uh, into top four round consideration. Definitely not, you know, top, you know, three round consideration at all because of what you talked about, that lack of versatility. He can't, he's not a guy who's going to line up at all three wide receiver positions. He's not an interchangeable piece. That's what these teams are looking for at the next level. Guys that can create mismatches by getting them lined up all over the field. So I'm right there with you. Speaking of versatility and creating mismatches, that is the perfect segue to quickly touch upon the tight end position. Kyle Pitts, man. He, he's arguably my favorite tight end prospect in terms of his pass catching ability since Matt and I started Saturday to Sunday. We were huge Evan Ingram fans. We, we liked him more than OJ Howard that year when most people were, were more pro Howard. But Kyle Pitts, man, I, he's Darren Waller. Plus is what I've been saying in terms of him. I saw something, I don't know if it was a week or two ago on Twitter that somebody was comparing him to Travis Kelsey. I don't really see that because Travis Kelsey is a great blocker and plays in line. I don't, I don't if an NFL team is smart, I don't think they're going to do that with Kyle Pitts. I think that would be wasting and not maximizing his skill set. It's Pitts, the, the top guy. I know some people like Friar Moot a lot too. Do you think both of them are round one guys? Who do you prefer? And, and it's Pitts one of the better collegiate tight end prospects in terms of pass catching ability you think we've had in the last couple of years here? Oh, I think without a doubt. Um, I think they're 1A and 1B, but I'm a Friar Muth guy. So I'm going to be, for what, really what you just said, it was the ability to block. If you look at Kittle and Kelsey, they can do both. They're beasts at both. And I think the physicality that Friar Muth brings to the table, he's a lot more physical than Kyle Pitts. A now, lot. <laughs> now, Kyle, now, Kyle Pitts is a great route runner. He's, you know, a mismatch for these DBs. He's big, he's strong, but Friar Muth to, you know, and if you, you know, I, I did a lot of film work on Journey Brown and Friar Muth just stood out on tape with his blocking ability. 
never gave up on plays. He sprung he sprung Journey Brown a lot last year, and I don't see Kyle Pitts doing that. I think they're both first round draft picks. Um, if I'm an NFL franchise, I'm taking Fryermuth because I want the best of both worlds. Yeah, and listen, I, I, I Matt. If Matt was here, he'd probably agree with you because that Matt Matt really really uh, values the tight end who can play in line and be versatile to do both. And I know here in New York, a lot of people are are kind of hoping that the Giants at some point move on from Evan Ingram because he's one dimensional. And they tried for years to make him a blocker, didn't really work out. They've struggled, you know, to make him a top level pass catcher and he has some drop issues. So if you're not going to block, you better not have drop issues on top of it because that's your calling card. But yeah, you're right. Listen, if, if someone is looking at these tight ends and that's why I brought up, you know, the conversation I had on Twitter, you know, if someone wants to comp somebody in this draft class to Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or Rob Gronkowski, it's Pat Fryer move. Like it's, it's hands down. You know, he's the guy that could emerge into that. Pitts is going to be the guy who's more like Darren Waller. I, I, I really stand by, I think Darren Waller is the really good comp. I mean, you know, for, for a guy like Pitts in terms of what he's going to be asked to do at the next level, you know, this could be very much a Noah fan and TJ Hawkinson type thing, right? Hawkinson went, ended up going ahead of him because of his ability to be a more complete player and question marks about fans blocking ability. I mean, the momentum right now seems to be swinging towards Pitts, but let's be honest, Penn State didn't kick off their season until recently. So he was a little out of sight, out of mind until the Big Ten got, you know, kicked off. Pitts came out of the gate, you know, with massive production. But again, statistical production, and it's not like Fryer moved is poor in that. He's been he's he's doing just fine in the production level. NFL teams are looking for certain things. So kind of like going back to our no uh our Najee Harris, Travis Etienne conversation. There could be half the teams in the NFL that are looking for a guy that they want to be able to play every single down. They want him to be a weapon in the passing game, but also be able to be a blocker and not be a one-dimensional tight end. And that's and Fryermuth's probably going to be a top of their board. And if teams, you know, maybe they maybe there are other teams that run a lot of two tight end sets. They have a guy who's more of an inline blocking guy. They just want the mismatch receiving piece at, at you know, in terms of that's the role they want for him, kind of like you know, Vegas uses Darren Waller. Those teams, I think, will prefer Pitts. So it's weird. We we have all these one. I don't remember a year where we have all these one A one Bs. We could say mm-hmm. we could make it about the tight end position. We could say it about the quarterback position. We could say it about the running back position. The wide receiver position, we can go down to six letters into the alphabet. You know, if we really wanted to, because you can pick and choose and really find a way to rank them in, in any which way. So it's nice to hear some Friermuth love because I do feel like. Because their season kicked off later and because Pitts has been so electric in terms of his pass catching ability, the upside and potential greatness of Friar Mood seems to have not been discussed enough when I, ca- when I jump on Twitter on a Saturday. It just doesn't seem like he's getting as much attention as he warrants unless I'm just missing that. So it's nice to kind of hear, you know, that's what you look for as well. And he's at the top of your list uh, right now. Yeah, I, just one other thing, yeah. and I think you you made a point earlier in your podcast that I think is important. Stats don't tell the whole story, right? Like you said, I mean, Clifford's just been terrible at Penn State. I watch all the Penn State games, you know, living outside of Philly. So, you know, he's been wildly inconsistent. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, Pitts is the number one receiver on that team. 
And, um, you know, people, I think, have a tendency to really think that the stats translates to the NFL. Not in, I'm not using Pitts as an example where that's not going to translate. I'm just saying, I think you brought up a good point earlier that you have to look behind the stats. You got to look at the skill set of the person and how it translates to the NFL. Yeah. And I, I mean, just going on that, like I always remember arguing here at Saturday to Sunday with people and listen, none of them have really materialized to be worked up 10 picks. But I remember, the, I remember the conversation between Corey Davis or Mike Williams, and it was like a real divide. There was like the, right. the Corey Davis people, the Mike Williams people, Matt and I were, were more, we did it wasn't that we disliked Corey Davis. We liked them. We just preferred Mike Williams. And then people would be like, well, look at the production that Corey Davis put up and, Part of my feedback would be, well, Mike Williams is playing with, in, with Clemson and there's a lot of other good receivers there. Like if Mike Williams was playing, you know, where Corey Davis was, I think they, I think that whole production level would kind of have been flip flopped. And sure. sometimes sometimes you just can't, you know, if Friar Moot was in Florida, with Florida and he was the focal point of the offense, I think he'd be putting up similar statistical production as Pitts. So listen stats are fun i mean matt and i here are math teachers we get it the statistics are fun to look at they're they're fun to break down but i i don't think they're good i don't think they're a good uh good thing to predictor of nfl success and i always say you know correlation doesn't mean causation you can make a lot of things correlate to this production means they're going to have success at the next level if you're looking just at statistics. But just because the correlation is there doesn't mean that that's the cause of why they're good at the next level. I'd like to think that's because their their traits are good and and that's why they're succeeding at the next level, not because they put up statistical output uh, at the collegiate game. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Stats are could be very misleading at times. If we take this to the second segment of the night, the Debbie slant, where we talk about some underclassmen guys, I kind of want to open it up a little bit uh, to you right here. You mentioned Brees Hall being near the top of, of your overall running back board uh, before, you know, this past week, 133 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he's been really uh, performing well this year, you know, right up there as one of the top underclassmen running backs in the country. Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M. You know, 18 carries, 131 yards. He's been really productive this year. Another one of the top underclassmen running backs. And then, you know, B. John Robinson out of Texas, one of the top freshman running backs this past week, a little bit of a breakout game, 12 carries, 113 yards. Looked really impressive. And then, you know, one of the surprises of the season right now is Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame. You know, this past week in the upset for Notre Dame over Clemson, 140 yards, three rushing touchdowns. You know, this is a guy who really been flying under the radar, I think, at the national level in terms of people really looking at this guy as a, as a, as a big-time prospect. Take me through a couple of those names if you want. Obviously, I want to hear your thoughts on Breed Hall. You know, you have him right at the tippy-top there of, of, of with, the, with the two big guys in terms of your overall running back rankings in college. Some thoughts on Hall and then any of the other guys you want to mention. Yeah, I mean, I think Brees Hall, I mean, he's, he's shown it every every Saturday. I mean, he's productive. He can catch the ball. I think he's got the lateral movement. He can move the pile. Uh, Spiller's the same way. I think those are the two top of the class right now, at least in the 2022 class. Um, Bajan Robinson's there in the 2023 class too. And you're absolutely right about Kyron Williams because I'm in like six or seven C2C leagues and he wasn't drafted in almost any of them. So, I mean, he has come out of the nowhere. But this is what us Debbie guys love, right? I mean, these guys that come out as freshmen and and tear it up. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the whole 2022 class to me, you know, I think we could have like, um, 
three or four guys this time next year that we could be talking about. Jerry on Ely, I kind of have in there. I uh, wish he was just a little heavier. Um, but a guy who I'm intrigued about, and I was actually excited to ask you, and I don't know if you've done any film work, but a guy that's jumping up my board big time. I just did a game film on him this week, did one two weeks ago, is Javante Williams of North Carolina. I don't know if you've watched him at all, but he has just been tearing it up lately. And I, I really like his size and skill set and his lateral movement. Like I said before, uh, lateral movement is what it's as far as the running back goes, um, you know, the vision and their ability to make adjustments at the line of scrimmage and make that first second cut and, um, you know, is really what I look at. And I'm really, really impressed with Williams. Have you watched any film on him? I mean, I've watched I've watched him in some live viewing and i i've walked away really impressed i have not done a deep dive on him yet but you know when you watch when you watch him on film it's hard to i'm I'm saying when you watch him just on saturday to broadcast coverage it's hard not to come away impressed with him so he he's definitely on uh my short list of, of guys to to take a look at and and you know get him in my rankings and stuff obviously during the year I usually you know, right now focus more on the draft eligible guys, you know, but he, he's a guy that I think needs, you know, to definitely be looked at a little bit closer because like you said, these guys come out of nowhere. And I feel like running back is the position that happens more than any other position in terms of the skill positions that like, you know, tight ends that don't really come out of nowhere. Quarterbacks, uh, okay, you guys could have jumps like Joe Burrow and, and you know, maybe this year Zach Wilson, but it's not like we didn't know about who Joe Burrow was. It's not like we went to the year not knowing who Kyle Trask or Zach Wilson is. But sometimes I think the running back position is really where these guys, like late bloomers, get an opportunity, whatever it might be, that kind of jump out of nowhere to, to like we like mentioned before about Kyron Williams. Like, these guys – weren't guys that were, you know, at the top of any Debbie list or, you know, freshman watch list when they came in, you know, so, so I think it's going to be, he's going to be a guy that I'd like to watch a little bit closer, uh, you know, as the year progresses to, to really get a better feel for his overall game. But hearing what you're talking about him kind of gets me intrigued because I know, I know, you know, we're, we're cut from the same cloth in terms of the film watching and, and really deepen into these guys and not just, you know, looking at a box score and, and passing judgment on them. Uh, so I'm excited to hear that you're intrigued by him. So he's definitely a guy I, I look forward to watching. Yeah, I think I was really impressed. And what about Ibrahim from Minnesota? Have you, I mean, he's been really, you know, watch, I haven't watched a ton of film on him. Um, but man, he's been super productive this year. Yeah. I like him. I, I I think he falls into one of those guys where really good collegiate runner. And I look for, I'm looking for something that I think could be a, a special trade or a calling card to make me feel like, okay, like top 100 potential. I don't see that from him. So I think he's a guy that kind of gets thrown into the mix of an intriguing day three guy. Does that mean round four or five? Maybe is it, is it back in the, you know, again, running back is also the hardest position. Like think about like, a couple of years ago, like I know he's had success this year and it's been great to see Miles Gaskin be successful, but a guy like Miles Gaskin and the production he had in, in college and, you know, even the stir he had for a while. And then, you know, NFL teams just probably because of his size, but NFL teams just weren't as excited about him. You know, and we see that, we see that all the time with, with running backs who are really good in college you know, and then maybe fall further than we think on draft day or sometimes even go undrafted. So, so I think he's one of those guys that is putting up monster production, 
but I'm not sure he's a guy who translates to be more than a depth level player at the next level. So a, a day three type guy, maybe work his way into a committee. Uh, but that, that's kind of where I'm at now. Again, I haven't done a full write up or anything on him yet. So, you know, I, I, I could change judgment when I, when I do that, but from watching him, nothing's ever stood out to make me think like, okay, he's in the mix to be like a top 100 guy right now. Uh, like some of these other guys, like obviously Jerry Neely and, and Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller, those guys to me, you know, and even in the, the, the quick glimpses of the freshman guys, right. You know, you know, Tank Bigsby, B. John Robinson, you already start to see things with these guys that you're saying, okay, when these guys eventually get around to draft, you know, being draft eligible, these guys are going to be guys that are, that are highly intriguing, uh, from from their upside perspective, if we take this over to the quarterback, a uh, couple thoughts on uh, Keenan Slovitz at a USC, Sam Howell at a UNC. I mean, right now, I think Howell is probably next year going to be the guy we're talking about. You know, as at the top of the quarterback ranks, provided that you know Lawrence Fields, you know uh, Trey Lance all go pro. How, how do you kind of see that next wave of quarterbacks there? Is Howell and Slovis guys that are at the top of, of that list in terms of the following year in terms of quarterback prospects, or is there some other guys that you like more? No, I have uh, Slovis and Howell and Rattler kind of one, two, three. And, you know, Jaden Daniels, you yep. know, uh, has flashed a little bit. Didn't have the best game this past weekend. You know, Graham Mertz is another guy that could be a guy who last year didn't do a lot of production, didn't have a, a lot going on. But this year he certainly flashed before he got, you know, COVID. So I, I think, again, it's the same 1A, 2B, you know, 1A, 1B. Um you know, there's a lot of football left to be played. So I try not to get too hung up on ranks on which one I like better. And I've got shares of both in my C2C league. So I'm covered either way. Yeah. And another guy I want to bring up, and I, w- I was practicing this before on air, but DJ Uangale at a Clemson, how do you kind of look at, you know, I know when I make my Debbie ranks, I skew a little bit more towards the closer they are to the NFL that's kind of like my tiebreakers at times. So like, how do you, how do you look at a guy like this? Who's played two games for Clemson, really impressive, obviously a big time recruit. You look at him, you, it's hard not to envision some Cam Newton, some Dak Prescott, that the size and the, you know, the red zone rushing ability, maybe like a Josh Allen down the line that maybe even, and a more advanced passer than potentially, you know, Cam or Josh Allen. How do you, how do you kind of look at him and then compared to those guys that you just rattled off your list of the 2022 guys, I find it hard sometimes to rank guys when you when you have that whole extra year where you're trying to say like a lot can go wrong. Like, you know, in that year, you know, I tend to skew towards the guys who are a little bit closer to the draft. Then, but but sometimes guys stand out that it's you know obviously Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields right now we've had you know everybody's had them near the top of most quarterback boards since they basically stepped foot on college. So in terms of your process, how do you kind of handle that? Is it a case by case, or do you have a way that you tend to lean more times than not? Well, I mean, in reality, what are we going to get two or three QBs a year that really translate to the NFL that turn out to be dynasty assets that we're plugging into our rosters on a regular basis? I mean, this year we got three, right? Um, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think the 2021, the top three, 2022, the top three, and then I'll start. If I feel as though the talent level, you know, the, so the big question is Trask or DJ, right? You know, where, you know, if you've got ranks of all three classes, where are you going to put, are you going to wait for the upside for a guy like DJ 
given, you know, his, you know, his recruiting profile coming into college, the team he plays for, you know, they're going to surround him with successful, you know, talent. Um, it's hard not to, but that's the fun of this game too, right? I mean, we, let's not lose sight of the fact that this is only a game. I would tend to take a shot with the top two guys of a, of a later class after I get through the three or four of current classes. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think it's actually a very good way to think of it, especially when we're talking about the quarterback position, because, yeah, guys could materialize, right? Nobody had Joe Burrow the year before, you know, at the top of their list. But I think you're right. Like, you know, like it, it, it would be foolish for people to have guys that we were talking about before, whether it's, you know, Brock Purdy or, or Desmond Ritter. And I think you could even put Kyle Trask, you know, there right now. Like to me, those guys who I look at as day two picks, maybe even, you know, maybe even day three, you know, the way Purdy and Ritter, you know, have some question marks about their game. It would be silly not to have guys that you already are looking at as guys who you think could be round one talent wise. So you like, that's where I think the, the year thing, if I'm breaking ties with guys who are all round one guys, in my opinion, I think I'll, I'm, I'm going to skew more towards the guys who are closer to come out. But when you, but I think the way you preface it is a really good way to think of it, that we usually only have a handful of round one quarterback prospects. I know people think we're going to have five this year. I, I have questions about whether or not we're going to get five this year. I think Mac Jones is a good player. I think the hype for him right now is, is over what, the expectation should be for him. I, I, I don't know if he fits the, the modern day NFL in terms of what they want. I, I, I don't, I'm not ready to say we're going to get five. I think we're going to get three locks and then we'll see. And the will sees are the Zach Wilson's Kyle Trask and, and Mac Jones. Uh, but I think the way you preface is a really good way that if, if you look at a guy and they're slam dunk, you think round one quarterback talents, those guys should get the nod over guys who are a year closer, but you already look at them and think they're round two or round three or even round four guys for sure. And that's a good way to, to kind of preface this when you're trying to group all these guys together. So there it is, guys. Debbie Slant for week 10 in the books. Let's take this to the third segment of the night, which is the tail of the tape, where we take a look at some upcoming matchups this weekend, more from a prospect perspective in terms of guys we're looking forward to. Now, this kind of this kind of got derailed a little bit with the news today that, you know, three SEC games that were going to be intriguing to watch this week have all been postponed. You know, in this section here, we're going to talk about Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, and Tennessee. They're all off the docket. You know, so games I have written down here right now, USC, Arizona, uh, Ohio State, Maryland, Arkansas, Florida, you know, those are those are some of the some of the games that, you know, Utah, UCLA, South Carolina, Ole Miss. Anything, Brandon, that jumps out at you from these games from a prospect perspective that that you're kind of just have your eyes on that when you sit down to watch some of these games on Saturday, you're looking forward to this guy, this matchup, this prospect. Yeah, I mean, uh, of all these games, probably the Ohio State Maryland game. I mean, you got Rakeem Jarrett, you know, freshman who kind of really emerged this this um, this past Saturday. You know, to his little brother, kind of really had a nice rebound as week two here. Um, and Ohio State, I'm always, you know, being a Debbie guy, I like watching the young guys. That's kind of what my podcast is about, the deep dive players, you know. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this Ohio State. I mean, I know they're leaning on Garrett right now, Olave, but they had a 
they just crushed it in the recruiting class and the wide receiver. So I'm just seeing, you know, if they left the Fleming or the Smith and the Jigba or, you know, G Scott, any of these other younger players are going to start to kind of emerge. Right? That's really what I look for. You know, when I watch games on Saturday, you know, we all know about the players, um, you know, Jeremy Ruckert, you know, another tight end who's kind of interesting. I just, uh, you know, talk about what we talked about previously about a guy who could possibly get the draft capital next year, who doesn't have at all the production. Ohio State has not, um, you know, really involved him much. So interested to see him. He had a, a good game last week. Uh, USC, it's all about the receivers and watching Slovis continue to develop. You know, I, there's not really much in the running game there um, to get too excited about. Well, Alabama, I just I, I kind of wish that we could have seen Mac Jones play LSU from last year and not this yeah. year. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, obviously the defense is uh, a little different this year, maybe just a tad, right? Um, but uh, no, but uh, I think the most exciting thing I know the LSU game isn't going on, but I, I'm a little disappointed because they've got a, a, a really a, a good QB battle on their hands. You know, they got TJ Finley. They got Max Johnson, you know, TJ Finley played last week. Max Johnson got some reps as well. You know, Miles Brennan, I just read is out for the season, most likely with his abdominal injury. So, you know, LSU, like who's the next uh, quarterback that is going to kind of emerge, you know, out of that, um, you know, that QB classroom. So, yeah. And that would have been, that would have been, it would have been fun to see those young guys against Alabama, right? Obviously, they would have been asked to probably throw the football a lot in this game, probably playing catch up. So it would, you know, hopefully this game gets an opportunity to be rescheduled because whenever it, it, it takes place, if Brennan's out the year, as you said, you know, it's going to give these young guys an opportunity to kind of to kind of get some, you know, really uh, big reps against Alabama in in that type of environment, that type of game. So hopefully, we see that down the line. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. You know, Fleming is a guy from Ohio State, the 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 wide receiver. You know, obviously a big time prospect. I know Matt was a big fan of him here. So you know, looking for guys like that are, are always fun when you're seeing these matchups because I don't see a lot of a lot of these matchups this week, and I'm sure some will end up being competitive, but we don't really have a lot of like highly competitive matchups. Most of the games we've talked about, pretty large point spreads, you know, teams that should handle, but that sometimes opens the door for some of those guys that you're talking about, right? Those guys who maybe won't get on the field if it's a 30 to 27 game in the fourth quarter, but if it's a 50 to you know 17 game, you start to get to see those guys a little bit in bits and pieces. So that's always fun to watch. Uh, couple of other things, USC, Florida. One thing I want to mention is, you know, one thing Matt, you know, Matt and I have been doing this long enough here. And sometimes you, it's hard to quit talent when, when you see something early in their collegiate careers. And I, I mentioned these two teams, USC and Florida, because they have two running backs, one each, that broke out into the scene as freshmen and Stephen Carr and Malik Davis, who were explosive players when they stepped foot you know, on their college, you know, campuses. And then they've kind of both battled injuries and inconsistency and poor production for a period of time. And now Malik Davis is, is finally significant, again, significant playing time this past week. He had a hundred yards receiving, you know, he's a, he's a guy that is going to go totally under the radar. And then like a team's going to like draft a guy like him in the sixth or seventh round. And it's gonna be a lot of people saying who, like, who is that guy? And it's going to be because he was highly recruited going to Florida. He made some impressive plays as a freshman. He's got big time bursts and acceleration and speed. And then he's been a forgotten man for a couple of years. So it's nice to kind of see him, you know, getting an opportunity this year to show some of that big playability, which we haven't seen literally since he was a freshman. And now he's a senior and same thing with Steven Carr. Like, you know, he, you know, he's not the lead guy there. He's kind of using in tandem with other backs, 
But again, he was another guy that his freshman season was really impressive. And, you know, and it's nice to kind of see these guys kind of turn it around a little bit by the time their collegiate careers ends and hopefully and get an opportunity at the next level because NFL teams, they know their recruiting numbers. They, they, you know, those guys sometimes get more of an opportunity than they should uh, based on that down the line. And, you know, we, they should at least be on our radar, you know, for, for potential date for repicks or priority free agents uh, that, that could eventually get an opportunity. So those are a couple other names I just wanted to mention, but overall pretty light week in terms of, Really exciting prospect matchups that we're looking forward to. So let's finish this off with a quick NFL rookie report for week nine. And every single week, I'm just blown away by the amount that th- these rookies in a year without an offseason and without preseason have been thrown into the mix and been impact players at, at the NFL level. It's been fascinating. And the quarterback position has just been staggering. Uh, Justin Herbert, it, has looked better in the NFL than he ever did in college. And that is not easy to do this early in your career. This past week, 326 yards, two touchdowns. The Chargers find another impossible way to lose another gut-wrenching game. But Herbert continues to basically read the entire field, use all his weapons. Obviously, his chemistry with Keenan Allen is great, but he gets everybody involved. We've seen this the entire year. His his trajectory and upside is through the roof right now. We serve to a second game. I mean, the first game, he looked rusty. He looked like maybe he wasn't ready to be the starter. But this past week, he battled out with Kyler Murray. Really impressive. 248 yards, two touchdowns. You saw that Russell Wilson type upside his ability to move around in the pocket buy time when he needs even took off and had like 30 yards rushing this game which is really not something we saw a lot of at alabama but he's got enough athleticism to at least use it when it's needed but more to move around the pocket throw off structure his his touches anticipation throws always been my favorite traits of tua so it was great to see him uh you know get going this week any thoughts on Tua Herbert? You could even throw Burrow into the mix. Are you surprised at anything you, we've seen this year in terms of their success uh, so quickly, especially with the lack of an offseason? Yeah, I mean, so we'll just go through the, the three real quick. I mean, Burrow has um, been playing great. You know, he's on that, the Bengals with a horrible offensive line and still producing. And he's just a fascinating story, you know, just how he emerged last year and just – Pulling for the guy too. I didn't get to see the Miami game this week, so I really can't comment on what he looked like out there. Herbert, we've watched, um, you know, seen him plenty of times. Looks like he's he's doing great too. And I guess for me, I'm just a little more on the cautious side. I mean, there's people on Twitter putting out 2021, you know, rankings already having you know Herbert up in the seven and sixes, and I'm just like I'm the I'm I I gotta get a year of tape first. You know, I think (laughs) again, it's kind of like we talked about earlier in the podcast about college players being freshmen. I think uh, when there's an off season, when these defensive coordinators get to really watch tape on these guys, I'm not trying to throw uh, water, you know, on these guys, but um, I'm not ready to put Herbert in the top 10 as far as a fantasy QB, given what I've seen in four or five, six games here. You know what I mean? I I think I need to see a full season and, um, but I'm thrilled to see just more quarterback play. It's just amazing that in this world, we can't find 32 fantastic quarterbacks that would make the NFL better than it is. Yeah, and and hopefully, hopefully, we're starting to at least 
you know, refill the cupboard, so to speak, in terms of the NFL, right? If, if Tua and, and Herbert and Burrow with three right there, and hopefully we get a few more from this upcoming draft class, and hopefully we keep this trend that we can get, you know, cause it, it hasn't been pretty. You look at the last couple of draft classes. I mean, it's up and down, you know, in terms of, you know, Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins and, you know, a lot of concerns about Baker Mayfield and, you know, and, the, you know, Drew Locke doesn't look like, you know, he's going to be the long-term answer here in New York. You know, Daniel Jones looked good year one, surprised people this year. He's regressed. How does he finish out this year? The Giants back in the quarterback market, you know, so it's been a little bit of a, a, a rough patch, you know, over the last couple of years for the quarterback position in terms of these rookies. So it's nice to see this trio, hopefully, be high level players down the line, but I'm with you. I think sometimes people are too quick to want the shiny new object in terms of their rankings. And I think sometimes you gotta, gotta wait a little bit. If you, if I put you on the spot and said, in terms of a dynasty ranked the way you would want them, is it still your feelings on them before this year even started? Like how you liked them before the year started? Is that how you would rank them? Would you flip flop anything in, in the limited we've seen right now in terms of their NFL, you know, production? No, it would be Burrow two and Herbert. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, yeah, I like, I, I, I like two as in Burrow's their mobility a little better. I know Herbert will run. I know he's not, you know, um, he, you know, he'll definitely, you know, scramble and get the first down and do what he needs to do. But just looking back to, you know, how inconsistent he was at Oregon. And I think you just made my point with, I mean, even Carson Wentz right now, five years, he's struggling mightily. You know, so you got to um, give these young guys some time to see if they're really going to be the true assets. But I think you just made my point with all these second year guys like Baker Mayfield. I mean, my goodness, he was probably drafted first, second in that class, you know, when he came out as a rookie. Um, Then now here he is struggling and they're probably wondering if he's the long term answer. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So let's take this over to the running back position, because obviously was a star studded running back rookie class with five of them going early in the draft, uh, those top five guys going pretty early in most rookie drafts. And, you know, it, it's kind of crazy that we had five guys go really early and James Robinson has been the best running back in terms of the rookies, in terms of production. You know, a lot of that's opportunity. I've gone on record on this podcast saying sell, sell, sell. If you have somebody who's willing to give you a first round rookie pick for James Robinson, take it and run uh, quickly before they change their mind. Because they think when the, by the time the offseason hits, you will be happy you made that move. Uh, James Robinson's a nice player. But I don't think he is the longtime bell cow that is – I think they'll look to upgrade the position or at least compliment him for sure. Uh, and if you can get a first-round rookie pick or even a high second-round rookie pick, I think you take it and you look to the draft, all those wide receivers, two tight ends, handful of star-studded quarterbacks, uh, and all those wide receivers. And I think it would be the prudent move of the, the top guys. Where do you kind of stand, though, in terms of, you know, long-term value? I mean, we just kind of see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, five carries, 14 yards. He did score a touchdown in the passing game. You know, they brought in Le'Veon Bell. It's not like he's really taking a lot of value away from, you know, Hilaire. Uh, but he's, he's been struggling a little bit. He's had a couple of good games week one in that game, the rain game on Monday night versus Buffalo. He's been good, but he's been very inconsistent. Uh, DeAndre Swift, when he gets on the field, 
impressive, but you know, Matt Patricia continues to do mind-numbingly poor decisions there and, and continues to give the ball to Adrian Peterson and not, you know, give the ball to, to Swift 18 to 20 times a game. Uh, JK Dobbins in that, you know, three man backfield there in Baltimore, you know, those, those are the guys that, that played this week. Obviously, you know, this Cam Akers as well. And Jonathan Taylor, who right now can't figure things out at the NFL level. And he's been, you know, losing a lot of significant work and any thoughts on those guys in terms of none of them have really had the impact that I think many thought, because we always go back to what position translate the quickest to the NFL level, and it usually is running backs, right? Like, you know, of all the positions that you thought maybe without a, an offseason, these guys would be okay, it, it's the running back position. And to be honest with you, let's be honest and, and call it for what it is, none of those five guys are, are really living up to expectations right now. I've gone on record as saying I'd probably, if you need a running back, trade just about any first-round rookie pick, unless I think it's like a top three or four, for Cam Akers, I, I would say I'd probably deal a two because I do have some question marks, you know, b- because there were Henderson's there and looked good this year and young. But the other guys, I'd still aggressively go buy them. But but am I wrong in that? Am I, am I being foolish that in terms of what we've seen this year, is it cause for concern to maybe be hesitant to offer up a pretty good first round rookie pick to try to get one of those guys? I think people have to just be patient. I think this whole community just wants instant gratification for a lot of these players. And I think that the NFL is going to a timeshare. There's going to be very few bell cows out there. There's going to be a handful, six, seven, maybe. But I think most quarterbacks, even in, even in next year's class, they're going to find themselves most likely, maybe not ETN and Harris, but the rest of them will find themselves in timeshares. Um, so I would just preach patience. I think comparing this class to what's coming Next year and then the following class, I would still be taking shots. I agree with you. I would, if you really like these players, if I had to choose one, I'd be going after J.K. Dobbins of the Ravens because if Mark Ingram isn't there next year, I think he has a real opportunity. You know, they might sprinkle Gus Edwards in, but I think you know Lamar Jackson's better when he's got a running game, and I think the Ravens will figure that out. So, if out of all these guys, I'd be take, I'd be targeting Dobbins. Um, you know, Clyde Edwards-Helaire, yeah, he, you know, great skill set, but Mahomes likes to have the ball in his hands. I mean, he, he's said that he, he wants to be the guy. And so I don't know if we're overvaluing that Kansas City landing spot of being maybe a little bit more attractive than it, it possibly can. Sure, it's an explosive offense. He should be getting catches. He should be getting more. Uh, the Le'Veon Bell, you know, was just a head scratcher for me. Um, but like Swift, I was really disappointed when he landed in Detroit. I mean, I, I just they've just never been able to figure it out, it seems like, with running backs. I still believe in, in Swift as well. But I, I think the expectation of the Debbie and dynasty community is that these guys are going to come in, overtake their backfields because we've watched them in college for three years and we get all excited and there's a big letdown. So I think it's a really big buying opportunity. If in fact you like some of these players. Yeah. And and I thought you said it perfectly. A lot of people need to preach patience, but in the community that we're talking about, they don't preach patience. And I think it opens up an opportunity Listen, obviously I love studying the rookies and the rookie classes, but I have found as much success in in me playing dynasty fantasy football in targeting second year players that didn't live up to really unex you know impossible expectations at times in year 1. They're a year advanced. I use that People want the shiny new object. People want more draft picks. People want have more fun in terms of their draft. But use that as an opportunity to go get some of these guys who 
maybe they're frustrated at DeAndre Swift. Maybe they're frustrated at, you know, Clyde Edwards Lair. And I agree with you. I do think we may have overshot expectations on Elaire and maybe put too much emphasis on the offensive line in Indianapolis and not realize that they maybe are going to look at him as if he's not Derrick Henry, does he start becoming a little bit, and I think he's better than Leonard Fournette, but you start worrying that Leonard Fournette, right? One dimensional, he can catch a dump off, but they're not really going to ask him to do much. And I love that the name you mentioned, because from before the season started, I said, I didn't have enough guts to do it in my rankings. But if someone asked me two, three years down the line who I thought was going to be the guy that would be the best running back from this class, I said, it's, I think it's J.K. Dobbins. And I had him at number three in my rankings before the year started because immediate impact, obviously running back to position, you don't want to wait too long. So I was like, you know what? Elaire's going to be the guy this year. Jonathan Taylor, I thought we all thought they were, they were going to be the guys. But I think J.K. Dobbins, of all the guys, He'd be the guy I'd be most intrigued to go by right now because he's got the dual capabilities. He can catch the ball. He can run. He's in that offense. They need to to get the ground game going. Gus Edwards is a solid back, or who, if even if they move on from him at some point, I'm sure they'll bring in another competent guy. But if J.K. Dobbins becomes the clear lead guy, 16, 18 touches a week in that offense with the attention that Lamar Jackson brings, I think his explosiveness, he's got more explosiveness you know, than I think any of the other guys and then put him in that offense. He'd be the guy I'm right there with you that I think I'd be aggressively buying him. So I'm right there with you. And if we finish this off with some wide receiver talk, uh, Jerry Judy has his best game as a pro this week, seven catches, 125 yards and one touchdown. I know, I know there's been explosive performances up and down by Chase Claypool and, and Justin Jefferson and, and, you know, pick and choose other wide receivers this year. I'm still keeping Lamb and Judy as my one-two. I know people probably want to put other guys ahead ahead of Jerry Judy, but as you were talking about before, the running back, you love to look for the lateral movement. Wide receivers, I'm looking for elite-level route runners. I think Jerry Judy is an elite-level route runner. To me, he was the best route runner I've ever studied since I've been doing this at Saturday to Sunday. I know they got Cortland Sutton coming back. I know they have quarterback question marks. I still, I won't move him down past two. If you want to say C.D. Lamb, you know, at one, fine. I'm, I, I can get that, you know, and I even have C.D. I even moved up C.D. Lamb earlier in the year, you know, when, when Dak Prescott was, was just, you know, hitting on all cylinders there. But Judy is the guy that I think people, and he's going to be rocky up and down the rest of this year, I think, because it's just that Denver offense. He'd be a guy that I'd be willing to go out again and buy off of some inconsistencies with people looking at him and saying, oh, Sutton's coming back next year. That's going to hurt Judy, et cetera, et cetera. I like Judy the player. I want to buy stock now before I think he eventually becomes a big-time player. Any thoughts on Judy? I'm, I think you said it perfectly. I would. Those are the two guys that I would take. Um, I agree with you. I think Judy was an elite route runner last year. He showed it at Alabama constantly. Uh, CD Lamb. I'm still pissed off the Eagles didn't trade up to get him. I'm still. <laughs> am, I'm still angry at Howie Roseman for that. I'll take Rager as a consolation prize, but um, I think those two, you know, are are good. You got Chase Claypool here that you mentioned as well, and yeah, that's it's kind of like a learning experience for me. And one of the things I like to do. Let's just say going back to Jonathan Taylor for a minute. Like if he doesn't pan out, right? I think what I like to do, you know, I'm no expert film analysis guy by any means, but I think you have to learn from 
guys that we think translate that don't and go back and watch what they do and vice versa with Claypool. Now he's a guy at Notre Dame last year who before last year, nobody was really thinking that he was going to be what he is right now. You know, he finds himself in a great system, physical receiver can get it done. Got, uh, I think he's going to be in the top five, probably of this class. You know, if we look from two years from now, I think that's how physical he is. And especially with his landing spot, you know, the Steelers know how to draft wide receivers. Yeah. And you know, it's weird. You, you almost wonder, Brian Kelly seems like a pretty smart coach. Uh, he had success before he got to Notre Dame, but it's weird that we watch Notre Dame games and it, for, two years ago it was Miles Boykin. This last year it was Chase Claypool. And it, it just seems like they don't know how to use these freakish athleticism that these guys then show off when they get to the combine. And then Claypool's already transitioned it to the NFL. You know, we haven't seen it from Boykin. Is it him? Is it, is it the offense? Is it opportunity? You know, I'm not ready to, to say he can't turn that athleticism into being a productive NFL player either, but is it, is it Ian book holding back and, and, and is it the quarterback play? Is it the scheme? Whatever it is, it, you kind of feel like, why aren't these guys, you know, dominating at the college level? You watch Chase Claypool, what he's doing on Sundays, and how is he not like just ripping through collegiate defensive packs yeah, for exactly. hundred for 130 yards and like two touchdowns on a weekly basis? Like, you know, it, it's weird like that. But yeah, he his freakish athleticism and upside, and I I strongly believe they move on from Juju Smith Schuster at the end of the year. I, I think they're going to roll with Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson on the outside. I think those are going to be their outside wide receivers, and then they probably go back to the well and and draft another day two or day three wide receiver in that round, you know, two to four range, you know, because they're so successful at it. But but Claypool, he's the guy with the arrow, I think, pointing up. And you mentioned Jalen Rager, like right now, out of sight, out of mind, and and the Eagles, you know, obviously have had, you know, just been ridden with injuries but he's another guy that if he has some inconsistencies down the stretch here because he's been you know in and out of the lineup you know due to injuries a big injury to start and you know and he just hasn't really gotten into you know much rhythm yet and if right now Wentz is trusting Foljam and he's seen more targets I don't think Travis Foljam is the long-term number one wide receiver I still think you know that could be John Rager I lo- always looked at John Rager and thought he could be a Brandon Cook style player and maybe Cooks is not the traditional number one wide receiver but he could be a wide receiver one for a team for sure uh, especially you know who I think you know Dallas Goddard will be a rising tight end star at some point uh so Rager's a guy who I find interesting is a guy that there might be a buy low window for a while on Rager unless he really puts together like a really strong finish to the year where he's putting together some like hundred yard games and, and highlight real plays because if he, you know, is the clear second or third on the totem pole down the stretch and targets, people are going to be left with a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth and not really much to do with Rager, more the injury. And then the weirdness of not having time to really build chemistry and, the lack of offensive line and Wentz inconsistent. I think it opens up an area for Rager to be a, a really good value as well on the trade market, uh, you know, for potential, you know, maybe you could even get him for like a second round rookie pick if he really struggles down the stretch here with people excited for this year's upcoming draft class. Yeah. And I think you said it earlier in the podcast, you know, it's a great opportunity to buy second year players. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that I think that's something to do. And I mean, obviously, I'm assuming you follow the Eagles closely, like, you know, 
what's the vibe out there a little bit in terms of, you know, our, you know, I know everybody wanted CD lamb, you know, and probably even wanted Justin Jefferson when they were, you know, when, when they were on the clock as well. And then they take Rager. It's like, do they look at him as like, because it wasn't one of those other guys, is he already looked upon as a guy that, you know, they're not even given a fair shake to, or is the media and, and the fans, do they think, you know, they're, are they preaching patience with him and, and giving him an opportunity to maybe live up to his pedigree? Oh, I think absolutely. I think they drafted Rager because this team had such a lack of speed. You know, Deshaun Jackson last year, just, I mean, he's hurt all the time. I don't even know why they re-signed him to be quite honest with you, but um, Alshon Jeffrey and, and stuff. We just didn't have any speed. We had no field stretchers. So I think that's why they lean towards Rager. And I think the town here is very patient and willing. You know, our main concern right now is Carson Wentz. He's just not seeing the field. He's seeing ghosts out there. I don't know what the hell his problem is, but, um, you know, so we got that whole Jalen Hurts conversation going on down here. Not yet. You know, the Jalen Hurts uh, conversation has not come in yet, but man, there's a lot of speculation as to why they spent a second round draft pick on him. You know, do the Eagles brass you know, see something that's now coming to fruition with Wentz's game, or do they really want that quality backup? That's a big debate here in Philadelphia. Yeah, and, and, and I think it it's worth it's worth a serious discussion because second round's a pretty 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 high you know pretty high resource to invest in a in a gadget player slash backup quarterback. So you know, like that is interesting. You know, sometimes we sometimes we don't give these organizations enough credit that they might see things from the inside. And, you know, you do make a point there that maybe they started to have some concerns with Carson Wentz or maybe those concerns have been there and, and you know, they've schemed, the, they've schemed around them or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, so it, it's going to be interesting to see because he's, a, he's one of those guys that, you know, if he ever got an opportunity, he'd be, he'd be a fantasy darling in terms of his running capabilities and, and, and stuff like that. So it's an interesting one that for, I know most of the leagues I play in, someone has him stashed away just, you know, for a rainy day to see if he ever gets that opportunity or if Carson Wentz gets injured, uh, you know, for him to get an opportunity there. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. My recommendation is going to be to continue to buy these 2021 rookies, wait for them to have a down week or two, uh, same thing we mentioned before. If C.D. Lamb is, you know, he's somehow still managed to be pretty solid without Dak Prescott. But if he goes into a little bit of slump at some point, you know, use all of this opportunity to to buy low on these guys. And then some guys, like we said before, James Robinson, take it as an opportunity to sell high on him. Uh, because, again, I don't envision a scenario where he's the long-term answer and definitely not as much of a bell cow as he been used this year if they move when they draft the quarterback i will say not if they draft the quarterback so jaguars will be drafting a quarterback in the top five i i think that's pretty much a lock oh yeah, yeah. yeah. well i mean it's the same thing you can say with you know Minshew, right i mean everyone was going gaga over this guy last year you know with his mustache and everything and then look i mean things can change so quickly in this game so yeah, like you said about, I mean, I'm right with you with the Robinson. I'd sell him in a heartbeat if, you know, if I'm a contender, I might maybe keep him if I've got a deep, deep roster and I can make a run. But if you're looking to, you know, because we got draft deadlines are coming up now. So maybe a week or two left. And um, yeah, now's the time, I think, to uh, to go. So with all these guys, with all the rookies, you just got to be patient. Just see what happens. You know, but another thing, too, if you're like late in your draft, right, if you're a contender, um you know, like I said, I think after Etienne and, and Harris that we talked about earlier, I, I mean, I think that I think it drops off like a rock after that. So, you know, if you want, if you're if you need running back help in your dynasty leagues and you're, you know, 
got a shot at one of these guys, I, I would take a swing at these guys because I don't think you're going to get them. And obviously, I think Etienne and Harris will go probably in the top five, six, you know, special in super flex leagues after the QBs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you're right. I think I think you're going to see most. Listen, one of these other running backs could get in the perfect landing spot that catapults them into into good draft position. But on talent alone, it should basically be the two running backs, Harris and Etienne, even probably in one quarterback leagues, I think you'll see a lot of Fields and Lawrence just because of the hype that these guys have gotten and and their upside. And we've seen we've seen these rookies, some of these rookies, you know, take the league by storm. And then a whole bunch of wide receivers. And then maybe the tight ends get thrown into the mix. Uh, maybe it takes a tight end premium league to get them into the into the top ten, top twelve mix. Uh, but I can see not a lot of other running backs going until round two. So if you can land the J.K. Dobbins for a late round one pick or even a Cam Akers for a mid-second, she'd be the guy who's probably the cheapest. You know, if you can land any of these guys for a late – if you need a running back and, and you're not going to have a top five pick and have a shot at Ethan or Najee Harris, then I think trading your first round rookie pick for one of these other – you know, I'd much rather take a chance on Dobbins, Elaire, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift and hope for a new regime, which I think you'll get. I'd much rather take a chance on those guys than reach for a Chuba Hubbard or pick another running back that, you know, might get pushed up the board a little bit because of, you know, maybe they go in round three, you know, and people get excited over them, you know, in terms of rookie drafts. Uh, I'd much rather be aggressive and, and go get these guys who we were so excited about. And like you said, patience is needed, especially in this offseason, this lack of offseason, and now this topsy-turvy NFL season that, that we've had uh, so far to speak. So there it is. Guys, the NFL Rookie Report for Week 9. Brandon, thank you so much for, for, for coming on air tonight and doing all 40 segments with me. Greatly appreciate it. Please let the audience know where they can follow you. Let them know about what you got going on on YouTube, your podcast, anything else you want to let the listeners know about. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, my, my Twitter handle is at Debbie Deep Dive. I've been uh, doing a solo Deep Dive uh, Debbie podcast on episode 72, I think. Um, and I got a Debbie dashboard. It's a great product. I, um, you know, I got all my ranks on there. We have a discussion board. We talk about, I, I make game films, put them on the dashboard. Uh, all the, all the members, I got like 65 guys that are members and we talk uh, about the films and what we see. And it's just a good community. I, I'm doing it to build a community, but, uh, just love talking Debbie football. I'm a, I'm a junkie. Absolutely guys. Make sure you're checking out all of Brandon's great work. Follow him on Twitter. Check out the podcast uh, and all that stuff. Excellent work there. Uh, So on behalf of Brandon, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.